0: This episode of the Round 6 Podcast is brought to you by Trailer Tug, the world's strongest trailer dolly. Learn more at TrailerTug.com. Welcome to the Round 6 Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion featuring a variety of automotive subjects, interviews, special guests, and stories, hosted by the Round 6 Gearheads, Brian Stupski, Alex Welsh, and Brad King. On episode 52, we welcome the former executive director of the NHRA Motorsports Museum, Bonneville record holder, and author of numerous books chronicling the history of the hot rod industry, Tony Thacker. Welcome to the Round 6 podcast. I'm Brian.
1: Brad, I'm Alex. And I'm joining Tony of-
0: Oh, hey, even, dude, you made it hey. even better. I talked right over the top of our guest. Our, our guest tonight is uh, Mr. Tony Thacker. Thank you, sir, for joining us.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure.
0: And, and uh, for our listeners who don't know who you are, go find a
2: new podcast. <laughs> Promise not to go there. <laughs> I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to say another word. There <laughs> oh, you go. No. <laughs> Great. <laughs>
0: Alex, put on your best, your best possible Brooklyn accent. You got to be Tony. Brooklyn.
3: Yeah. yeah. Tony says he's from England, but he's really from uh,
2: the Bronx. You know, yeah. so he's, East Texas, that little bit that's sticks <laughs> out. He's from Kent, Washington, not Kent, England. Hello, mother. Hello, mother. <laughs> Stop snorting on my podcast. <laughs> 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 So how is
0: retired life treating you, sir? Uh,
2: It's wonderful, actually. Um, I'm actually working harder than uh, I think I've ever worked, but um, I don't have to get up and go to work, which uh, is an incredible place to be. Um, I really enjoy it. So I get to do uh, all of the things that I enjoy, a few of the things that I don't enjoy. I get to travel um, and uh, get to enjoy... You know this hobby sport of ours that has given uh, us and me so much, so I get to enjoy it now without having to get told what to do. <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> I have no boss, only myself. Twice the
3: work with half the yelling—you can't beat that.
2: Well, I do, you know, unfortunately I do um, I do tend to sort of stress myself out a little bit. I main my main sort of function is to um, help a friend of mine called Ron Hope. Ron is the owner and driver of the infamous Rat Trap Fuel Altered. Yes, sir. Uh, when I retired from the world of speed, which we can get into because it was a, a great experience, um, Ron said, hey, we're going on a 50th anniversary tour of Rat Trap. Would you like to come with us? And I said, not really. I'm, I'm kind of tired of drag racing. He goes, no, you don't get it. We're going to go all over the world and we want you to come with us. And we've been doing it for, this is the fourth year now. And uh, it's just incredible. Ron and his family are the nicest people I've ever worked for. We would go to Canada, Australia. We go to Australia this year, New Zealand, England, Germany, and just go race. And um, it's absolutely amazing. Really, really good fun. They're super people. And I really couldn't wish for a better retirement.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I did see uh, the rat trap at at Goodwood. I saw the yep. uh, coverage. So that's
2: yep. got to be pretty. Awesome. Oh, that's amazing! If you you can Google it, it's on YouTube. Um, but basically, Goodwood the festival is a hill climb up uh, Lord March's Drive, and so Ron puts on a show, just like a drift car. You know, he squirts it off the line, slows down for the first corner, makes a right turn squirts it again, gets to the next corner, makes a turn, squirts it again, and goes halfway up the hill, you know, full smoke in tires. And it's a very narrow driveway with quite a lot of camber. So to keep that, you know, that car in the middle of the road is quite a task. Yeah, it's just incredible <laughs> to watch. Really, really amazing.
3: Oh well, the crowd has to love that noise. Oh
2: yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's just it's tricky over there because um you know, nitro, like it is here, is kind of a controlled substance, so it's not easy to get nitro, and um, so and they so they don't see it very much. So it's it's quite exciting.
3: See, this is good. This is cool. Bring bring yeah. some of us over to them. This is a oh, good thing.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, I used to do that a lot. I used to um, do a lot of consulting for. Well, actually, he's the Duke of Richmond now. He used to be Lord March, but his father died, so he got bumped up the social <laughs> ladder. <laughs> and uh, he's the nicest, nicest guy. I mean, he's a super nice. He's actually been to Bonneville with us. Ron has, um, Ron Hope has um, a small fleet of Bonneville cars. And so uh, Charles, Lord March, and his son Charlie came to Bonneville and drove one of Ron's cars. That was a good time. Yeah, so, yeah, he's a super cool guy. And it's an uh, it's absolutely incredible event. If you um, can think of, like, the most amazing motorsports event you've ever been to, and that's like a notch or two above it. it it's really, uh, it, it's really absolutely amazing. Um, and at the end of uh, the Saturday, he puts on a, um, a banquet for 1,500 people. Now, he do not cook the food, somebody else cooks the food. Um, but it's a banquet for 1,500 people. And then you go outside for the most amazing fireworks, spectacular concert. Whatever, and it just goes on and on and on. You think, are these ever going to run out of fireworks? Because it just goes on. And wow. On and, on. and then uh, we took Billy Gibbons one year, and Billy played during the firework display, and they had um, girls either side of him with flamethrower guitars. You can Google that too. And wow. uh, so Billy's singing "Sharp Dressed Man," and every so often these flamethrower guitars shoot off. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then you come inside, and there's uh, you know a huge marquee. Tent um, and all those fifteen hundred people dance till two, three in the morning, at Charles's expense. Two bands, like the Pretenders or Jimmy Vaughan or Jeff Beck, all sorts of. It's unbelievably amazing. Yeah, we got to go. Yeah.
1: And well, Goodwood has always been on my bucket list. It's yeah, always, I've go. always wanted because not only you got car stuff, you got warbirds flying
2: over. You got all kinds of oh, cool all crap. sorts of stuff. Yeah, he probably wouldn't give you a press pass, but you, know, <laughs> you guys don't look so <laughs> that's real. But there's two events. Well, there's lots of. Events. There's well, the
3: only way car. it wouldn't happen is if you told him, hey, do not give those guys press yeah. pass for you. I can do that for you. <laughs> that for you.
2: But, yeah, we took a bunch of dragsters over there. We had a huge cackle fest. We've taken land speed cars. Um, I took Jimmy Shine and Billy Gibbons came over one year with um, uh, Billy's Cyclops Coupe. Um, we took Jimmy Vaughan, Jeff Beck, um, Michael Anthony, a whole bunch of people. Yeah, it's been good oh. fun. And they won't oh, let us in. God. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well,
0: let's, let's kind of go back a, a little ways here. I'd like to kind of dig into how you got involved
2: in this whole hobby and industry. Uh, it's actually the typical story, and I just read somebody else giving their typical story, and it was so similar, and I just can't remember who it was. But I had a paper out um, in England, and uh, when I was a you know young teenager in the early '60s, and um, somebody on my paper out had Hot Rod magazine. I wasn't smart enough to um, figure out who it was or why they had that. But I would sit on the curb, you know, in grey England, surrounded by grey cars, looking at pictures of red and yellow cars under blue skies and thinking, man, that's just the coolest, coolest possible thing. And um, just loved it, just fell in love with all that thing. And, you know, wasn't into English sports cars or any of that Formula One stuff. And just loved the whole hot rod thing. And then in 63, um, Dean Moon sent the Moon Eyes Dragster to, to England. And uh, I'm going to my dad, who didn't like cars much. He liked beer. And uh, I said, Hey, dad, will you take us to see the dragsters? And he goes, Is there a beer tent? I said, Oh, yeah, of course there is, dad. So we all piled into his little van and off we went to uh, watch the dragsters. It was unbelievable. I was just hooked, just absolutely hooked. And so it was Dean Moon and Mickey Thompson um, raced. And uh, I just, you know, I just loved it, fell in love with it. Couldn't figure out how to make a living out of it for a long, long time because, you know, there was no living of it in England. I mean, it just wasn't our world, you know. So trying to figure out how to or even know that I could do that was was impossible. And so I became a um, electronics engineer and I hated it, just hated it. But um, a friend of mine uh, did some freelancing for a, a new bike magazine. And I was into motorcycles back then as well, we were building choppers, you know, being Tony Fonda and all that kind of stuff. And um, <laughs> this magazine came out and uh, um, it, it was okay, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like an American magazine. It was missing. And I worked with this argumentative old bugger, Joe, his name was, and he would argue black was white all day long just to mess with you. And I said, this magazine, Joe, it's, it's not very good. He said, well, write to the editor. He said, tell him it's rubbish. I said, can you do that? He goes, of course you can. So I had this very cushy job. And um, so I wrote to the editor a letter. And I still have his response somewhere. It was a, a very famous um, editor called Mark Williams. And he wrote back, and, and somewhere in the letter it says, if you're so fucking clever, you write for us. So I thought, well, that's cool. I can do that. an invitation, Can't Yeah, you. An invitation. So he said, well, you're into drag racing. Go and do a story about drag racing. So um, off I go, and I got paid and thought, God, this is great. You know, I got a press pass. I got up close to the track, and I got paid, and I loved it. And, um, you know, just by luck, figuring out story ideas was never difficult for me. Every, you know, I see a story everywhere. So um, I just kept going back to Mark and saying, hey, I've got a story about custom painting. I've got a story about this. I got a story about that, and he just kept buying the stories. So I kept doing it. And wow. Yeah, it took, um, boy, how long? You know, most car magazines back then only had two or three staff on them, and there were really only two magazines in England that were any good. So you had to wait for somebody to die to get a job. and uh, But eventually, you know, somebody died, and I – I got the job, but no qualifications, <laughs> no BA, no Master of Arts, no spelling. I still can't spell, even with a computer. And, um, but they gave me a job you know, because I had enthusiasm, and I think um, you know, that can still go a long way today, and some young people don't necessarily understand that, that uh, you know, if you're not the person that's going to go and get a college degree, don't give up because you know, there's all sorts of careers out there that you, know, you don't know anything about at the moment but uh, if you're passionate about something then you can probably figure out how to get your way into that business and again if you're passionate you can figure out how to you know make a living out of it so i was very very lucky and uh, really you know just loved it i mean not very good not a very good writer and certainly not a good photographer but um i was taking my iphone in to be repaired the other day. And um, the kid said, "Well, we can probably save your contacts, but we can't save your images." I said, "Oh shit!" I said, "That's that's bad. I make a living out of that." And he goes, "What?" You know, and he's looking at this old man. And I said, "Yeah, I, you know, I I shoot pictures of cars and I sell them, and you know, I make a living." And he just couldn't believe it. He said, "Well, I teach iPhone photography." He said, "And no, I didn't know that you could do that." I said, "Well, yeah, that's what I do with it."
3: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
2: So it's been a god, I don't know how long it's a career now. Um, 50, yeah, you know, 50 50 years. Wow. And, so now you
3: need two iPhones one for photos and one for uh, yeah, well, I, I, can
2: work, I can barely <laughs> work one, but um, yeah, I'm not esky. I'm not, I'm not that smart. But it is an incredible, incredible tool, you know. It's uh, you know, some people hate it and uh, do not in, like what it's done to the photography industry. Um, because I remember going to, you know, like the March meet or the reunion and pulling out an iPhone on the start line and everybody laughing at me and um, just making fun. But now as I go back to the track two, three, four years later, all of those photographers have got an iPhone and they all use them for certain things, obviously not um, you know, long distance action shots and stuff like that, but it's just an incredible tool. And, you know, I quite I video a lot of um, rat trap uh, racing and, you know, as a video tool where well, you guys must know, it's just incredible. I mean, I don't see, you know, for, for our needs for social media, it's just absolutely incredible. And you can post it right then, you know, yep. and it's up and people around the world who are following you. You know, we have nearly 10,000 followers on the rat trap racing Facebook page. And, um, you know, everybody around the world knows what we're doing right away. And it's just great. It's incredible. So, you know, I love that. And I don't find it, um, what's the word, Um, intrusive. I was never very good at carrying a camera and pointing it in people's faces. It always felt very intrusive to me to do that. Some people do it and do it really well. I was too, you know, too embarrassed. But I can do it with an iPhone and I can be sitting at the dinner table with, you know, with um, Alex Exidius or Isky like I was last week and just take pictures of those guys and have an incredible record that nobody else can get because, you know, I'm sitting at lunch with them. It's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. We don't,
0: yeah, I guess so. You. You. I won't have to describe you as like the Anne Leibowitz of uh, <laughs> hot rod same photography. Leg. So it's same gonna... leg.
2: Well, one. I have one, one of her legs. <laughs> one. The other one's not one. so good. One. <laughs> the other one. The other one is wooden. <laughs> so, you can put uh, thumbtacks and things in it to pin messages oh, to your right. <laughs> Which you. Because you know, post its don't stick to a, no. Wooden, no, <laughs> not to a wooden leg.
3: No, it's, well, t- it's
2: plastic. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's been an incredible career. And I um, I finally got a job on a, on a magazine in England called Hot Car. And I that was kind of the corny car magazine. I can't think of an American equivalent, but it, it was. I don't know, it just had all the ugly cars in it. And uh, there was another magazine across town called Custom Car, which I actually still write for. So it's, um, you know, it was launched in about 1972, and it's kind of an irreverent lifestyle car magazine with naked women. So, mm, you know, it yeah, doesn't have so many naked women now, but back in the 80s when that was um, uh, okay in England, we had a lot of naked girls in that magazine.
0: I'm just making a list here
2: of things to look for. <laughs> I've got a box of them in the garage, or mail. Them. <laughs> yeah, just look up custom car. We used to have a newspaper called the Sun. Well, we still have it, and I guess uh, page there was a page three girl, and every uh, every day there was a different naked girl in the newspaper in the in the newspaper every day.
1: Wow. I remember really? reading about that, yeah.
2: I grew up on the wrong side of the
0: pond because over yeah, here we used to look forward to Saturday morning cartoons. Back then it would have been like, what are you doing, Brian? I'm making sure that the stock market is okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys are a bit hypocritical about that. I, when I watch TV very rarely, you know, some of your people don't have butt cracks or they don't have nipples. And I don't know how they reproduce if they don't have those <laughs> accoutrements. We don't, we don't pixelate that stuff out in Europe. That's right there. It's, so that's it's a crazy over here. As it yeah. should be. There's a lot, lot, more,
3: lot more plumbers over in England then, apparently.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay to shoot people on television. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> there you yeah. go. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Let's not go down that road. So it, but it was very good. Like, I finally got a job on Custom Car. Oh, no, I worked on another magazine before that, which was more of a technical hot rod magazine. And I uh, did that for about four years and then got onto Custom Car. And that really was – kind of an amazing eye opener because at the time custom car sold about 150,000 copies, which was, you know, wow. quite phenomenal in those days, not compared to hot rod magazine, but, you know, you've got a, a population that's, um, you know, six times bigger than England. So, um, you know, it has to balance out, but, um, it was a, it was a big magazine. It was quite prestigious. And so we got invited on all sorts of press trips and got invited to go and drive cars. So, you know, I, We'd go to Finland to drive the new Escort or go to North Africa to drive a Peugeot 16 or, I mean, just everywhere. And um, it was really quite an incredible eye-opener to be an automotive journalist in those days. And you were still allowed to drink and drive then. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, seriously, we were on a, um, I think it was a Dunlop tyre test in the Calvados area of northern France, which is where they make uh, apple brandy. Mm. So they had these run-flat Dunlop tires, and they'd send us out in the car, and you had to drive it for a little while, come back, and tell them whether the tire was flat or not. Well, you know, after about three or four of those Calvados, you couldn't tell what car you were driving. (laughs) (laughs) That was, you know... (laughs) <laughs> and so that sort of thing went on and some people had to be driven because they were too drunk to drive and- <laughs>
3: that's, that's the perfect write-up for your tires
2: so oh, nobody yeah. could tell whether it was
3: flat or not really oh yeah we're gonna
2: have those it, it, it didn't matter because half the time we wouldn't have write about it anyway you know we'd write <laughs> about the trip or the beer or the wine or how the hotel was and uh, you know maybe maybe mention the car but not always
0: what a great what a great story that would be though. They ride so smooth it
2: lulled our driver to sleep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Done drunk flat tires.
2: Uh, a Ford trip to Bordeaux in France, which is a beautiful wine region. We go to this chateau and they just feed us winers and diners. And in the corner of the dining room is a, um, a you know, like a, a piano jazz setup. And we kept saying, Oh, you know, who's the band? Who's the band? And they wouldn't tell us until we finished dinner. And um, it turned out to be Dudley Moore and Peter Cook, who were, uh, you know, Dudley Moore was a famous actor over here in 10 and Arthur and all those Arthur, things. Arthur, yep. And he was a jazz pianist. and had a little jazz band. So they came out and played jazz for us. Uh, I mean, just all, all sorts. There was no expense spared to, you know, give you a good time and hope that you'd write nice things about the car or the tire or whatever it was. Yeah, it was quite an incredible night. And, and there were naked girls everywhere, too
3: so
2: wow yeah yeah. i've got still got the cover somewhere we were in south london shooting a camaro so we had this camaro in the street you know in a like a a shopping area um with a naked girl sitting on the cowl and one leg on either side of the engine burning out in the main street (laughs) I i still have pictures of it somewhere it's not a lie you know it was well, fun. The
3: girls the girls were brave back then
2: too. Uh, well, she might have been a little drunk too.. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I have a friend, Clive, an uh, English guy who owns Stromberg Carburetor, and we work together on this magazine and we meet up every year or a couple of times at the Grand National Roadster Show or somewhere, and uh, we just reminisce about um, those absolutely incredible days when you know it was just you know nuts, absolutely nuts.
3: So, did you just write about stuff that you were doing, or did you write tech stuff? I mean, what what did you actually? What was your what was your specialty?
2: Yeah, I, well, I specialized in tech stuff. I was I was good at that. But you could write about anything. I mean, the the most amazing thing with those magazines was that you just wrote about whatever you wanted to write about, and it didn't matter. We you know we could be testing an aeroplane, testing a trike, um, you know, going to the, you know an island in the Mediterranean on some kind of jaunt and write about that it didn't matter (laughs) the terrible thing was we used to do reader competitions where you could you know win a guitar or win a drum kit or you know win a win weekend for two somewhere but the the public never won the prizes we always got the prizes (laughs) (laughs) somehow never got those questions quite right we kept the donated yeah we kept all the prizes that's awesome yeah. and free cars all the time, you know they gave you free cars. We would get long-term test cars for for a year, and then we'd get short-term test cars for about a week or something like that. So drove everything, you know, Deloreans when they were new, took the side right out of one of those. <laughs> now, the the misters didn't work very well on a Delorean and I'm driving it through South London. I made a right turn. I heard this <laughs> and uh, thought, oh shit. And got out and I scraped right down the side of the DeLorean from the headlight to the deck lid. Took the wing mirror off it, everything. And so I, I phoned up the, uh, you know, the agents, the press agency, and said, "Oh, I put a scratch in this car." And the guy goes, "Don't worry, we can dolly it out." And I thought, well, if you know anything about a DeLorean, you know it's stainless steel over fiberglass. You ain't gonna dolly it out. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you just returned it, and nobody ever worried about it. Didn't matter. Got to drive some dragsters. Um, what else? I mean, uh, and one of the most amazing things about that job, we had a receptionist back then. You mean when? Remember when companies had receptionists?
0: Oh
2: yeah, yeah. We had this old lady Kay, and um, we used to joke with her when we'd come back from lunch. And I can't even remember how it started, but we kept saying to her, "Oh, no red car in the in the parking lot today, Kay," meaning a Ferrari. And she said, "Well, my sister works at Ferrari," and we went, "Oh, really?" She went, "Yeah." And so uh, I said to her one day, I said, can we call your sister? And she said, well, she, she does She does work at Ferrari and she's somebody important secretary. So we'll call her up after lunch and see who it is. Well, it turned out to be Enzo Ferrari's secretary.
1: Oh,
2: wow. Yeah. The lady called yeah. Brenda, Brenda Verno, and she had gone over there as a school teacher to teach uh, English to Ferrari's illegitimate son, Piero. And so we called up Brenda and said, hey, you know, we could come to Marinello for a tour. And she said, yeah, just bring some, she was English. So she said, just bring some English cookies and yeah, we'll give you the tour. So we, uh, I can't remember what we borrowed. I think we borrowed an Audi or a Mercedes, drove straight to Italy and just got the most fantastic tour of uh, Ferrari that uh, I still have the photographs. I looked at them the other day and that would have been about 84 and they'd just come out with the uh, Testarossa. You know, they were giving mm-hmm. up with the Strakes on the side. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, we would go back every year, take her a bag of cookies and get the tour. It was great. When you couldn't get in there. I mean, back then, you know, they didn't let anybody in the factory at all. And uh, so got to go and see all of that, you know, all of the studios in Turin when, you know, Lamborghini and um, De Tomaso and all those people were still building cars in the old fashioned way. So that was quite an amazing time. That would have been early 80s, 80 to 84, 5, I did that. And uh, we'd go down there, you know, just go for the weekend sometimes because, um, you know, it's only a a 1,000 miles. So, um, you know, you could get a car in England and you could be, you know, you could be in Italy by the end of the day. So it was just incredible to go down there and, uh, you know, go to the Turin Auto Show or Milan or and just look at all of the – you know all of that supercar stuff. I'm not a big supercar fan, but you know it's it's amazing stuff. Well, that must have been really oh really yeah. Cool. I had a well, my one of my best friends is a guy called Peter Stevens who designed the McLaren F1. And uh, Peter's a super super hot rod guy. drives a Model T Speedster uh, for his pleasure. But um, you know worked at Lamborghini, worked at Lotus, um, uh, worked on the uh, the Vector. Uh, down here in Long Beach, uh, you know, designed the McLaren F1, designed the the Jaguar XJR-15. And, you know, so being, you know, best friends, you know, I tagged along like a little puppy and we went everywhere, everywhere. It was great. I was just in Amelia Island with him and Pete Brock, and we're still buddies after all these years, so it's good. Yeah, so it was good to go and see all of that stuff. And I I think that's kind of interesting because I often study, you know, what's happening in our little hot rod business which is kind of coming to the end of its cycle, you know, vintage hot rods, traditional hot rods, um, because young people really aren't interested, but they love supercars. And so while we were young and we aspired to a 34 Roadster, 32 Roadster, 34 Roadster, you know, they aspire to, a, you know, a Lamborghini or an Audi R8 or uh, some kind of Ferrari. And so the enthusiasm is still there. It's just, you know, pointed in a different direction. So that's okay. I don't have a problem with that at all
0: no not and that's that's what kind of what makes this whole thing neat and everybody's yeah. got their own niche that they fall into and you find something that just does it
2: for you absolutely and, yeah you know, it just doesn't happen to be a 32 ford for them and that's okay you
1: know, i
0: don't mind nothing wrong with that i uh, i've learned to appreciate just about everything out there except for like uh the new yaris it's behind <laughs> that. <huh?
1: laughs> the Aztec.
2: Now, <laughs> well, now, trucks trucks a are a big. Is those is those badges on the back of Tesla's. And I love Tesla's. Don't get me wrong. I think they're amazing cars, but it says zero emissions. And I just want to get the guy by the neck and say, where do you think the electricity came from to power your bloody car? Where do you <laughs> think all that plastic came from that made it? You know, it's not zero emissions. It might not pump out any carbon dioxide or whatever it is, you know, but it's not zero emissions. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, there was a, an old South Park episode about uh, hybrid cars, and, and, the, and the premise was they don't produce smog, they produce smug.
2: Yeah. And so- <laughs> yeah. The batteries uh, are one of the biggest problems now because, um, uh, you know, firefighters have to be specially trained to deal with battery fires. Yeah. And um, I haven't researched it, but there's apparently a major problem in getting rid of all of these batteries and now wrecking yards uh, i think in europe wrecking yards can take them but they can't do anything with them so they they' you know they've got masses and masses of batteries that they don't know what to do with so i'm not sure if that's true i need to research that more but um it's a, you know it's not the easiest answer to our problems yeah. yeah but i do think at the same time that we're at a you know a really interesting turning point kind of like you know, a hundred years ago, when we got off the horse and get into a car, and now we're going to get out of our car. You know, somebody else is going to drive it. A computer's going to drive it. It's going to be different in the next ten or twenty years. I think it's going to be really different. Most and different. I don't mind that either. You know, nobody wants to drive. We all drive in LA traffic. It's miserable. It's not fun, is it? Did
1: it all day today. It was
2: awful. Yeah, it's just awful. awful. So why, you know, wouldn't it be better if you could just sit in the back and read a book or? You know, do something else. You don't want to be sitting yeah. up there going, "Fuck! Get out of the way! Get out of the way!" Yeah, <laughs>
1: I've been doing that for well, years. Just, you know, well, reading a book or I yeah,
0: already... just just read. I get in the back of my car, I just let it go. Nobody gets in my <laughs> way
2: anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I did drive it. My brother-in-law has two Teslas, and I drove one the other day with the sort of automatic mode on it, and it was quite scary to let go of the wheel and um, let it go. And we were on down on um, oh, Ortega Highway, and the lines aren't painted very well on the road and it kind of didn't quite know where to go. It didn't know whether to turn off or go straight. Well, I have the same problem, but, um, uh, that was kind of quite scary. But at the same time, I could think I could get used to this, you know, if you're driving to, uh, you know, Oregon, as I used to do when I was working on the world of speed museum up there, you know, it's a thousand mile drive and I did it quite often. And, um, you know, nobody needs to sit there for a thousand miles. You could just get in the car, turn it on and, you know, go watch a movie. Yeah. Take a nap. Yeah, take a nap, you know. And it was a long way. And by the time I got there, I was, you know, pretty tired and it was really not a smart thing to do. But it seemed like the right thing at the time. So anyway, I went after publishing. After publishing, I went book publishing for a while after Custom Car. I got tired of the Custom Car thing. And uh, not tired of the cars or anything, but just – You know, uh, after a while, I get bored. That's the trouble. I get bored. So uh, I went and did some book publishing for a while, and I enjoyed that. I did that for a few years and um, published about 100 books on all sorts of subjects, everything from, you know, racing the silver arrows with Mercedes-Benz in the 30s, um, books on motorcycles, which I love, um, you know, books on everything, Morris Miners, Triumph, Spitfires, all sorts of books. And it was cool because I got to learn about an awful lot of things that, you know, I hadn't previously been interested in. And I got to meet an awful lot of people and, again, go on some great trips. You know, when we did the Racing the Silver Arrows book, it was the 100th anniversary of Mercedes. So they took us to the ring and Fangio was still alive, um, Sterling Moss shelby all of those people were there and that was absolutely incredible i mean it was really great to meet all of those heroes and um you know not one of them let let me down it was really good because they, sometimes, were, let, good did to they were let you drive their stuff uh we drove a lot of stuff i mean they were there i still again have the pictures of that but they were driving those old w196s and you know the Audis, the rear-engined Audis with the V16s or whatever they are, and oh, yeah, yeah. that stuff. Because wow. that would have been nineteen eighty-six. Yeah, I think it was. That was um, Mercedes' hundredth anniversary, so they, they had all that stuff there, and those guys were still pretty, pretty sharp, you know. So it was that was incredible. That was a really, really amazing trip.
0: That'd be awesome yeah. to just be able to document, you know, interview those guys, especially at that time. <laughs>
2: But well, it was really funny because the, sorry, the oh. um the writer of that book was a great old guy called Chris Nixon, and um, I just moved to America in the summer of '88, and he called me up. He said, "Hey, I'm going to Palm Springs for the weekend, uh, you know, spend a weekend with some old racers. Would you like to come with me?" And I said, "Sure, why not?" And you know, I got nothing to do, and um, God, I have the I have the photographs because I found them the other day, and the list, and it was. Or Every one of those guys, Roy Salvadori, Phil Hill, Carol Shelby, um, John Wyre, every one of those racers was there. And I was just like a little quiet boy in the corner listening to all of these incredible stories. I wish I had my iPhone, but uh, I didn't to film them, you know, because that's the other good thing with an iPhone is you can just film an interview, bang, right there. Um, Because we didn't have that then, and I just had my camera, which I was embarrassed to lift up but I got a lot of good snaps of those guys and got to know them all before they died. And, uh, Oh yeah, it was just, you know, even though I'm not a super racing, yeah, that kind of racing guy, it was just the stories and the achievements and Shelby was good. I did a lot of stuff with Shelby and he was, he was a cool old guy. Yeah. So that was good fun. And then, um, so I did the book publishing for a while and then, um, really wanted to move to america i mean if you're into the hot rod drag racing thing you know southern california is the place to be and um i was really good friends with um pete and jake um who owned a company called hot rods by pete no pete and jake hot rod parts and then uh pete you know went to work for Seamer, and then he opened the socal speed shop and um, so he's always was a great mentor of mine and he kept saying, why don't you just move to California? Why don't you just move to California? And finally, the, you know, the timing was right. I got on a plane and uh, went to Pete's house. Um, and he said, oh, well, you know, why don't you come to Seymour on Tuesday and have lunch and do some networking? I thought, what the fuck was networking? I didn't even know what it meant. <laughs> <laughs> I went down. And I, didn't, I had no idea. You know? I went down, <laughs> had lunch with him and Dick Wells. And uh, Dick said, "Hey, we're going to launch a magazine called SEMA News, which you might have seen." Oh yeah. And um, he said, "Do you want to, you know, do you want to come and be editor?" I said, "I don't right, have a green card." And they said, "Don't worry, we'll take care of it." And uh, <laughs> so I worked there for eight years at SEMA, and it was—I got to understand what networking meant because, you know, I met everybody from Billy Gibbons to George Bush and uh, everybody in between, and uh, that was a truly amazing experience. Working for SEMA was. Um, was really, you know, really amazing. You couldn't barely begin to describe that job. Wow. (laughs) And that was, you know, when SEMA was, uh, when Chuck Blum was the president, Um, so it was still a growing trade association. The show was, you know, nowhere near what it is now, but it was still absolutely amazing to meet all of those people, you know, Ed Roth to Joe Harudka you know, to Harvey Crane. I mean, all of them. It, it was, you got to meet everybody and I got to interview lots of them, you know? So that was really very, very cool for the magazine.
0: And that's, that's kind of the incredible part about this industry. I mean, like your biggest heroes are usually like one person away from you.
2: Oh yeah. 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 The only one that was ever, um, difficult and we, we finally figured it out was Ed Roth. Um, I did a book with Ed Roth, and he was a, not the easiest guy to get on with. And I loved him as a child. You know, I built all the models. I had the beatnik bandit, all of that stuff, you know. And then i go to meet Ed, and he was he was hard work. But we got through it. You know, we did a book together called um, Hot Rods by Ed Big Daddy Roth. But I have a great Ed story from his son. I, went, I was going out. He was a Mormon, lived up in Manti, Utah. And uh, I was going up to see him. And uh came back and his son, Daryl, said, uh, did you have a spaghetti dinner? I said, no, why? He said, well, dad has a, a bowl of spaghetti that he cooks up in, a, in an old iron skillet. And what he don't eat, he puts on the floor for the dog. And what the dog don't eat, he puts back on the skillet and adds some more spaghetti. And what he don't eat, the dog eats. And what the dog don't eat, he eats. <laughs> and I'd seen this skillet on the floor. And I, I said, no, we went out to dinner. I didn't have the spaghetti.
3: But, I'd heard I'd heard that he, it was one of those he, he fed it you know he, yeah. if you ate spaghetti out of a dog bowl you would never, get, never get sick, sick. I'd that's heard it. that before so it's true. you dude you get to be part of it. that's pretty it I don't ch- know why you chickened out I would have tried it just to just
2: do it uh, 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 <laughs> 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 it might turn you Mormon <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> we got we got over our uh, little difficulties Ed and I we became good friends in the end so that's kind of the amazing thing is you know, to, you know, especially for a little immigrant lad to be able to count some of those people as friends. You know, I went to see Tommy Ivo when I was like 14 or 15 in England. And, you know, Tommy and I are great friends and we go and see each other every now and again and have dinner and meet up parties. And, you know, sometimes you just have to pinch yourself and say, oh, I'm standing here with Tommy Ivo. That is just too cool. Or Billy Gibbons. I mean, Billy's just a, you know, a great, great guy to hang out with. Billy and I and my mother, when she was 95, went to New Zealand together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. We went down there for uh, Rod Millen's Leadfoot Festival. And uh, if you want to have an experience, go travel with Billy, because Billy is Billy wherever he is, whether he's on a plane, a train, or or in a shop, or whatever. It's just Billy Gibbons. What you see on the stage is what you get, and it's just a complete trip going out with him. Really amazing.
3: I did a couple of Harleys for him years ago. I went out and had pizza with him up in Crestline. Oh but yeah, yeah. Well, when, the Hogzillas. Yeah. Uh, well, I did some stuff on the Hogzillas, but with some other bikes that that Pete had built for him. Right. And 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 uh, I did I did the striping on those things, and we yeah. went and took them out and had pizza and. Oh yeah. And, uh, and yeah.
2: He goes to that. Uh, he likes to go to that little um, Mexican restaurant around yep. the, from SoCal. Right the, down the
3: street yeah, from Mexico. SoCal. That's his favorite place. Yep, yep. I've heard that many yeah. times.
2: Yeah. 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 Yep. But, uh, you know, there's some great stories. Some, and Probably some are repeatable, but <laughs> some are not. But, yeah, he's just a supercar guy, lots of fun, and, uh, you know, and just a cool cool cat to travel with. You know, it's always good fun. I've been to England with Alex many times. You know, Alex Exidius, we went over there. We, we were going to do a project with Lotus at the SoCal Speed Shop, and they invited us to go to England. So um, I got to go to England with Alex a few times when we were on that project. And, uh, God, we just always had so much fun. It's, uh, you know, just crazy when you're traveling with people like that that see world, you know, in a different way. But yeah. that, that led to, uh, you know, we did an MG wagon for Bonneville with MG. Uh, that was a Peter Stevens project. And then uh, we got a, a call from this. Um, it the weirdest things happened. I'd made this little teeny-weeny ring-bind book of all the projects we'd done at SoCal. You know, it was about 10 or 20 cars. And I'd made these little, you know, like gift books to hand out to people. And I was at the SEMA show and bumped into Mark Royce, who is now, I guess he's the president of GM. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, hey, Mark, how's it going? He goes, great, great. He said, I'm just running to get on the corporate jet to go back to Detroit. I said, well, take this little book and you can look at it on the plane. Well, about two weeks goes by and he calls me and he goes, OK, we looked at the little book and uh, we want to build a belly tank and go to Bonneville. And Pete and I about fell over. We just thought, man, you know, to go with GM to Bonneville. Mm -hmm. And so we flew to Detroit. And uh, um, they'd unfortunately bought a tank, but it was the wrong tank. So we said, well, why don't we just build a new one and uh, not this clunky old tank you've got. So we ended up going to Bonneville with them, with GM for six years and uh, built a string of cars. (coughs) Whoops. Sorry, my phone's ringing built a string of cars and they're all set land speed records and uh, you know it was that was a great time learned a lot and um, built some cool cars and just had a, a fantastic time again so again you know um doing things that you know you wouldn't normally get to do uh without and part of it is knowing when to say yes you know you get um Things happen in your life, and you're sometimes really frightened. you know, think, well, I don't know that if I can do that or pull that off. And uh, as you guys probably know, you've just got to say yes and then figure out. And that is – it's good I got to that point. That is the big difference between America and England. Um, when I grew up in England, the first answer is always no. You can't do that. You didn't go to the right school. You don't have the right accent. Whatever it is, there's always a reason. And then you move to America, and you guys, the first answer is always yes. We can do that. We don't always know how we're gonna do it, but we can do it. And that is unbelievably refreshing um, for a European. And that's what I've loved about the country is that yeah, we can do that. And let's go do it. And you go do it. And it's just absolutely incredible. Really that, amazing.
3: That belly tanker, I, I love that car. That thing, mm-hmm. that one that you guys put together is, mm-hmm. is absolutely over the top. Did that thing ever actually do anything or was it just a showpiece?
2: Oh no, they were well, there were three cars. Um, we built the, the, first car was the one with the red, um, red tires and they were made out of like skateboard rubber, see through skateboard rubber, right? And that was a driving car. And, um, Alex, uh, we got film of Alex driving it on the salt at Bonneville, but it was really a show car just to sort of, um, prove, uh, the feasibility of what we were trying to do. And then they built, um, and that had a, a transverse ecotech engine in the back. And then they built one with a longitudinal engine and a normal kind of transmission. And that went um, like about 198 miles an hour with a stock blown Ecotech. And then they, I can't remember if we either rebuilt that car or if we built another one, we might've built another one. Um, and then that car finally went 212 with a stock, stock engine. Okay. So we built a, um, Satin Ion that went 212. Then we built a Chevy Cobalt that went 249. And then we built an HHR that also went 249, but it was on the roof at the time. Yeah, that one, that one had some <laughs> nasty stuff happen.
3: Well, I like that car
1: though. With the chop top, that car was oh, so cool
2: looking. Yeah, it was. Um, and that was an incredible time to be at SoCal because, um, you know, we were building hot rods and some people questioned. You know what are you doing? But it's it's kind of like being on a car magazine that covers everything from naked girls to Lamborghinis. You know, at SoCal we were getting approached by, and it was like Boyd. You know, when you look back at Boyd's uh, portfolio of work, he was, you know, he was doing it before us, and he was getting approached by all sorts of people. Can you build this? Can you build that? And and when Boyd's uh, you know company sort of tipped over with the economy, SoCal you know, picked that batten up and ran with it. So we were building hot rods, we were building trucks, we were building Bonneville cars, motorcycles. And, you know, again, it was just an unbelievable lucky thing of being in the right place at the right time. And Pete saying, hey, you know, we're going to relaunch SoCal. Do you want to come for the ride? And Pete was an incredible guy to work for. I mean, of all the people I've ever worked for, Pete got it. I mean, he just understood that whole marketing thing of how it all fitted together, you know, how you build a car, you worked with the magazines, you developed the clothing, you know, you made parts. He just totally understood that. And, um, it was, it was a ride. It was a really good roller coaster ride for about 10 years. And, uh, again, you know, another, you know, good place to be at the time and, and doing all sorts of cool stuff that, you know, it just gives you a buzz. And, and Pete, you know, he was very cool at like, let's build a car and, you know, drive to, I don't know, the broad and custom power tour that went, I don't know, Columbus or somewhere like that. And we just get in a roadster and go, you know, with, with barely little more than a toothbrush and a camera and just take off. And it, oh, it was just, it was amazing. lot of fun, lot of fun.
3: That would be an adventure. There's your adventure right there. You go, let's just go. When we go, we're going right now. Let's go.
2: Yeah. And we did. I know I've often done that. I just, I did it with David Steele recently. He, um, Uh, David Steele's the um, executive director of the American Hot Rod Foundation, and we're chatting about something, and he said, oh, I have to go to Indianapolis on, you know, next Wednesday and and drive a deuce roadster back to L.A. I go, really, can I come with you? And he goes, sure, if you want to. I said, I'll warn you. I said, I do sleep most of the way. And um, so I flew into Indianapolis. He picked me up at the airport, and we just got on 40 or whatever it was and drove straight cross-country, we drove to Colorado and met up with uh, Lynn Park and the Cobra Owners Club and spent a day driving around Zion Park with the Cobra Owners Club. That was funny. One of them drove into the tunnel at Zion Park and caught fire and <laughs> burnt to the ground before anybody oh, could get to it because oh. you know, the tunnel was jammed with cars and you couldn't get the fire trucks in. So anyway, they managed, the people got, they, they got out, but the car was burnt to the ground. And I said to Lynn Park, oh, can you rebuild it? And he goes, oh, we can build two out of that. <laughs> <laughs> Lynn's a cool guy. I, I a cool, dude. He, he's somebody him. you should interview. He's
3: a good boss. Yes, I, I, have talked to him a few times. I would like to do something with him. He is,
2: he um, is an he's amazing great. guy. Super, super nice guy. And then, you know, we drove home all through Vegas, middle of the night. And then we got caught in one of those um, construction zones, and I managed to get David a speeding ticket. <laughs> he was driving, but when the cop stopped, us, I, I was kind of tired and kind of made fun of the cop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh,
2: nice what a pass i uh, said so how can you stop us in this you know wild roadster and not say anything about it he never mentioned that we were in a hot rod he just said you're doing 80 in a 50 and uh, i said didn't you know don't you see this car? card not it look you know different to you and he kind of got upset then and david got a ticket oh well
3: <laughs> he didn't take you with him anymore did he
2: no, 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 I've been on some trips with David. It's been okay. I was going to say,
0: the uh, the English version of Smokey and the Bandit doesn't sound as exciting as I was hoping it would have.
2: We've done that a few times. I, I love, uh, you know, that's, again, one of the things about being a, an immigrant is that sort of um, joy and love of the open road in America. I mean, driving to Bonneville, to me, is just one of the coolest things you can possibly do. You know, you get out through Vegas, you make that left turn, and you go up through the Panamint Valley or whatever it is, yep. and it's like going back in time. And it's just – I just love it, you know, just absolutely incredible. I drove to the RPM Nationals, um, which is up in uh, Santa Margarita, and you get out of Santa Barbara, and you go up there, and it's like you've stepped, you've driven back in time. It's like a Twilight Zone moment, you know, because you're going through all these little towns. You're not on a freeway. Um, there's all the little stores and mom and pop places, and that's a cool event, the RPM Nationals. If you ever get a chance to go, it's great. But that's uh, you know that's part of that sort of folklore of America um, that uh, you can't experience anywhere else. You know, it's quite a unique country you guys have here. You should, uh, and I love that you're proud of it. You know, we we piss on our flag in England. We don't, you know. After the sex pistols, our flag is destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> it and, uh, uh, but you guys, you honour it, you know. And it's it's um it's not corny. It's just really, really sweet. And I'm a citizen now, so I get to stand there and take my hat off and uh, and feel good about it. And I absolutely love it. It's really, it's really very cool that you guys are about America.
1: Well, thank you so much for recognizing that. That's oh. awesome. Thank you. It is. Thank you. It's very cool.
2: Well, then other i gotta, I got a question. Other countries don't do that. <laughs> I,
3: I have a question. Now that you're a citizen, are you comfortable with driving on the correct side of the road?
2: Now? Oh, no. no. <laughs> That's still a problem, actually. <laughs> Especially, it doesn't matter whether I'm here or there. And I go to Europe every year, um, You know, go around, go drive around Europe. And if I'm in a, um, a, a um, like a big parking lot that doesn't have well-defined... Uh, guidelines on the on the road. I have to stop and wait for somebody to come along to figure out which side of the road I'm supposed to be on because, you know, I forget. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Just have to be careful, you know, but it's okay. But uh, we have the same traffic. And now they've just introduced a law in England now that if you're caught on the freeway at, uh, I think it's 10% over the speed limit, the first fine is 25 to 75% of a week's salary. And it oh, goes up from there. Jeez. Yeah. Some, uh, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Well. Yeah. There's millions of cameras. Very controlled society over there. I think there's six and a half million cameras in England. And every time I go, I get a ticket. And then, and then you have to pay twice because you have to pay the rental company for their part of it, the paperwork. And then you have to pay for the ticket. And I have to pay because I have to go back. you know. And if you don't pay, then you can't go back and rent another car. So, yeah. But... Uh, yeah, and the traffic's just as bad. My mother and I stay with my cousin, and my mother lives 100 miles away, and it can take four hours.
1: Oh.
2: Yeah. yeah, so, uh, you know, you have a wonderful country here. It's uh, something to be uh, very proud of and, uh, you know, and hold precious because it's not like this everywhere. <laughs> you don't have the freedom everywhere else that you have here.
0: Well, it's gotta be—it's gotta be strange then to see, and I don't want to get into politics, but it, no. it's gotta be strange for you to see the people who do live here who don't appreciate it.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, you know, That that actually winds me up more than anything because um, you know one of the—I moved here with about five other guys, um, and um, every you know, and, and it's a cliche to say that you can come here and reinvent yourself, but you totally can. And uh, every one of those guys, you know, did very, very well. One, one got into the movies and, and did incredibly well. Um, another guy got into the concept car business and did real well and worked on all sorts of amazing concept cars here, which, you know, he could never could have done that in England because, you know, there isn't an industry for that. But there's something like, I think, 12 design studios in California. And so probably, you know, uh, 5,000 jobs in that industry. And, um, you know, that, that's a big industry over here. So there's, there's work for people who are crafty craftsmen or clay modellers or designers or something like that. I mean, the opportunities, um, even nowadays, are still quite incredible to come here and uh, and reinvent yourself and make something of yourself. Yeah. Well, my friend Mick, who owns Mick's Paints, he's been here. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Mick, you know, he's been oh, here 20 man. odd years and now he's painting cars for Pebble Beach. He's painting cars for TV shows. Um, and you can do it in England, but boy, it isn't easy. You know, it's really hard. And here, it's not that it's not it's not hard here. It is tough, but it's doable. You know, whereas there, it's very, very difficult. Just you know, it's expensive, and you know, and uh, there's not enough money in the hobby. And because uh, you need, you know, you need enthusiasts to pay for us all to do what we want to do. And um, you have that here. You have that enthusiasm and you have that drive to do and build cool cars.
0: Indeed, so, it, it's it's shocking, even being in the industry,
2: to see just how big it really is. Oh yeah, it's amazing.
0: It's yeah. it's mind-boggling. I mean, yeah, no. it
2: really is. You know, you go to something like the Grand National Roadster Show, or you know, the Detroit Autorama, or a race, or something like that. I was just um, we were at the Gator Nationals, where Amelia Island, which was incredible. You know, so many different kinds of cars, and then to go on to the Gator Nationals, which is you know like polar opposite from uh, Amelia Island. <coughs> And, uh, uh, but it was packed. I mean, absolutely packed. And they were, and this is an interesting fact. I bumped into some English guys I didn't know, and they were racing a Camaro at the Gator Nationals. They got accepted, or however that works. And we got chatting, and they said, Well, it's cheaper to come and race in America than it is to race in Europe. I said, How many times do you race over here? And they said, Oh, six or eight times a year. You know, we wow. leave the car here, we fly over, we do the race, you know, we have a nice time, and then we go home and earn some money and come back and race again. <laughs> and, yeah, it shows you how expensive it is into Europe when it is. Well, we did it with um, the Havoc guys. There's a, a friend, Some friends of ours have a fuel altered called Havoc, and they have nobody to race in England. They have the only fuel altered. So uh, Ron kindly said, well, why don't you ship it to America and come race with us? And they go, how can we possibly do that? And he goes, well, we've, we've got a shop. We've got room in the shop. You know, we've got a spare truck, and, uh, you know, we'll get the car to the event, and you just fly in and race it. And the bastards won the championship. So, <laughs> yeah you know, shows you how good you can be, in but no it's uh, <laughs> come over here, stealing our jobs, stealing our women <laughs> but it really trophies, yeah, taking our trophies home yeah. plastic uh, and there's so much to do, you know i mean i I still write them stories for magazines and uh, do a lot of blogs and um. You know, you get spoiled for choice, you know, and you're thinking, well, there's a re- another event this weekend. And you're thinking, yeah, but there's three more and I can't do them all. I can only do one of those. So getting to choose which one to do is uh, is hard.
3: Thank goodness you're retired.
2: Yeah. yeah <laughs> working harder than ever. <laughs> anyway, after after SoCal, I kind of got tired of it. You know, it was just it was a grind. And I, I got an offer to go and work. Wally Parks asked me to go and run the NHRA Museum. And I loved Wally. Uh, he and I had been friends. He was one of those people I met at SEMA when I first moved here. Wally and Alex, and and Wally and I just hit it off. And Wally's wife Barbara, we just were fast friends. And uh, the museum needed a director, so I went over there for six years, and that again was a, you know incredible experience. Completely different disciplines from anything I'd done before. Had no museum experience, um, but it was incredible. And uh, you know again got to meet you know, everybody, Don Garlitz, um, you know, Tommy became another fast friend and that's when we took some dragsters to England. So that was a really good experience. And then I got a, a call from a Superman in Oregon called Dave Bainey, who, um, who used to run a, a car called the Tiki warrior. It's an alcohol funny car with a driver, Ron Hughley, but it was uh, Dave. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I know the car. Yeah, Green. Uh, Dave owned it and Dave uh, called me up and said hey uh, you know we want to build a car museum up in Portland Oregon and um, you know we'd like you to come up and talk to us about that so uh, I flew up there and thought Portland Oregon snow cold rainy be like England you know why would I do that but um, when I got there I you know uh, with and with Dave's help and some other people there's a really amazing underground of car people in Portland it's just kind of pushed down by that whole green movement they have going up there. But um, there's some amazing car collections and, um, you know, we built the world of speed and that was, again, it was a really amazing experience, um, to do that because Dave, you know, he wasn't really worried about the money too much. He just said, let's build a, a cool place. And, um, so we were able to put in there, you know, racing simulators, uh, all sorts of interactive exhibits, and uh, it really was just a great experience. Unfortunately, Dave died last year, and uh, you know he was only fifty-eight, so it took him way too early. But yeah, cool stuff, good stuff. And uh, I still have great friends in Oregon that um, you know I met when I was up there, and it's a it's a good car, a good bike and car scene. I mean, they have that uh, one moto show, which is a massive, great motorcycle show. And then they have this thing called the alley sweep where all the bikers go out and drive up the alleys. You know, there's all these alleys behind the houses there and they just tear ass up the alleys, you know, and they don't tell anybody where they're going to go until the day of. And so nobody can block the alleys or call the police and they just race up and down all these little alleyways. It's great. Really good fun. It is cool. Yeah, it really is. And there's, you know, lots of I mean, there's lots of collections in the middle of um in the middle of Portland, there's one family there, and they were the Ferrari importer in the northwest. And um, the old man put every time there was a new Ferrari, he put one away in a in a in a in a warehouse. So there's a warehouse full of all the cool Ferraris. Right, right in the middle of Portland, right in the middle. It's really, really cool. There's another guy there who collected Group B rally cars. You know all those RS two hundreds. Yeah. He's got he's got a warehouse in the middle of Portland, with a, that's full of those. Wow. Yeah, yeah. There's guys Same. there with three hundred motorcycle c- collection. I mean, there's a lot of stuff up there, because they don't salt the roads, so it doesn't go rusty. So uh, there's some great, great stuff in the northwest. Just rains. <laughs>
0: I Wonder if anyone daily drives an old, you know, B rally car.
2: Yeah. Well, there is actually a guy in uh, in Portland called Bob Ames who daily drives uh, Bugatti, whatever, Type 25, is it? Oh, jeez. Drives it on the street, no lights. Just, yeah, just drives it. Who's going to stop him? What are they going to say? <laughs> <laughs> it's just great.
3: It's funny you were talking about the uh, the guys going up and down the alleys. We uh, we know some guys over in uh, over in the Phoenix area that do that with mini bikes, and they go out a couple of times a year, and they'll sneak all over the city on mini yeah. bikes. And that's, again that's, allegedly.
2: <laughs> yeah, allegedly. Cool. Yeah, yeah we've heard allegedly, rumors. Rumors. Yeah. rumors. And again, that's what's cool about your country is that you can do that, and you know, it doesn't really hurt anybody, does it? You know, oh, you know no. so you know, it's all going to end soon. You know, would be no different to somebody riding a horse across your field or something. You know, it's. Uh, Let's enjoy it while we can.
1: There would be a bunch of driverless Teslas coming down through doing the alley sweeps. <laughs> it's
2: like, yeah, I think they good, came by. I thought I heard good a good talking to each other and they be going, let's go and do this. Let's go and mess with the humans.
0: <laughs> will, will your car be at the meet on Saturday? I think so. Let me text it.
2: <laughs> yeah, let me text it. That'll be something else. I don't know. Yeah, but I, you know, I love all that stuff, so I don't mind it, it. You know, it's coming along, and hey, let's let's embrace it and enjoy it. But I could still just be driving a Model A Ford too. Sure. Yeah. Because sure. you can do that too.
3: You know, my friend Stevens. I
2: run Model A. Yeah. Oh yeah. I did not want a stock one.
3: Aren't Aren't you looking? Don't you see what I'm driving? And then they give you the ticket. See. Mm-hmm. So
2: that's. Long as we can still drive it, that will be the only sad thing when there really is, you know, no gasoline and we can't do do those things because you know people take traction engines out I don't know do you know what they are yeah you have them like a steam engine an old farm steam engine right right. yeah I mean people still drive those in England I mean they go to rallies and things like that it's just incredible to see a massive great steam engine on the street you know belching steam or a train a steam train you know isn't it great that we have those things and somebody wants to preserve them it is cool yeah it's cool you know you know take a train ride it's really amazing slow but it's amazing. <laughs> There's a guy walking next to us. Heard it. <laughs> well so that was it. That was kind of the life. So um, you know, it's been pretty wow. cool. I got no complaints, guys. It's been uh, absolutely awesome.
0: I'm, I'm glad you uh you took some time
2: to share it with us. Well me too. It was I was uh, a little um tepid about it. tepid, intrepid, tepid, all of the about a
3: little, a little not... apprehensive, you weren't really sure yeah. what you were getting into.
2: Yeah, and I could have gone to dinner with some friends.
3: And you could have yet actually
2: eaten, see, so. I could have eaten, yeah. <laughs> no, it's been great. Thank you so much. been really good fun.
3: Thank you, sir, very much for being sure. on. Yeah. Go do Lynn Park. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I will. I will get a hold of him again.
2: Uh, I didn't know it was a person. I thought it was a place. I thought it was like Griffith Park or you know, Lynn Park. 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 <laughs> we're going to Lynn Park. Oh, that'd be cool. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, we've got a lot of grass.
3: Yeah,
2: <laughs> we have swings there? No, I don't think he's in the weed business. I <laughs> that's somebody else you were
3: thinking of.
2: <laughs> oh, no. Well, sir, go
3: get yourself some
2: food. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Tony. Tony. All right, nice, take care. Oh, Bye good, sir.
0: I can't I can't say enough man I'm I'm almost speechless because uh like I said we've talked about this so many times and we even say it at the beginning of the podcast you know we come on we say hey it's uh you know the round 6 podcast um you know it's special guests interviews and stories and man Tony Tony brought that latter part in spades mm. uh, so cool and that that's a life well lived
1: oh yeah
3: oh man Yes. <laughs> He's made good use of it. <laughs> that's
0: that's really, that is, that's really making the most of your hot rod time on this planet. Sure.
1: Yeah. It's kind of a unique story, you know, back in when he was growing up, he was probably one of the few guys that in his area at his age level that liked that kind of stuff and it always stayed with him. And then when he had the opportunity, he came over here and some of the things that he did here, those would be benchmark jobs for anybody, uh, you know, oh, to indeed. work for SEMA, to work for SoCal. You know, to be the uh, one of the main curators in two huge museums, how cool is that? I mean, those would be jobs that people would work a lifetime just to get to, and uh, and and he did them, and he and he was great about it, and humble about it, and you know, he's still he's still out there looking for the next adventure, and I think that's great.
0: I had, I tell you, I should maybe just say this off air. I have an idea now for a. Documentary that I want to do so bad about car magazines in England during that era.
3: What was the one? Remember the one uh Flames and Chrome or Chrome and, chrome and Flames? flames. Sure, yeah.
0: <laughs> I really want to do and get get together with Tony and sit down and write this whole thing out. Dude, can you mention a feature length movie done about a car magazine at the time in England? Oh my god. <laughs> and not only that, but now I want to open up a fish and chip stand. Where all the fish comes in that little basket, but on page three of the newspaper.
3: That's right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I've got that's a name for awesome. it, but it's not family friendly, and I'm uh, thinking. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's
0: awesome. Yeah. I'm
3: thinking this is going to work <laughs> out great. For you, for the
1: newspaper. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, it was. Yeah, it was amazing, and. um Awesome, and I, I I can't wait to have him back on. It was it was really great to bump into him at the Grand National Roadster Show yep. when we did. Yeah,
3: that was that was good. And if you've ever met
1: him, you, you'll come away laughing. The guy is one funny guy, just a fun guy to be around.
0: That was the best time I think I've had standing in line in a long time. Yeah.
1: Standing in line
0: in the wrong line, even. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna pick on him for that. I was gonna say, "Hey, dude, weren't you the director here for a while? Why you got yeah, you us, on the put us in
3: the wrong line?"
1: Uh, (laughs) and another cool thing that he mentioned that i thought was so great was how appreciative he was about the u.s and how he felt so proud to be here and uh, proud enough that he became a citizen i just think man good on you tony it's people like you that make this place great and thank you yes thank you sir very much
0: i i almost i kind of teared up a little bit to hear it because Ah, it was great you know you just don't hear that enough no you never do you hear the bad and it's really cool to get it from an outsider's point of view i mean we we do kind of take it for granted absolutely thanks again to our our guest the uh i want to say the immortal tony thacker for joining us and bringing (laughs) uh bringing some great insight to the show and some levity at the same time um hope you guys enjoyed that one uh obviously we'll be back here again next week doing more of uh whatever it is that we do so um yeah at the end of uh episode 52 uh, i am a uh, a much more continental brian
3: i'm gonna be driving in the wrong lane all next week brad and i'm otherworldly alex
0: Awesome. Hey, thank you guys for listening and uh, be sure to check us out again as always uh, on the website round6pod.com. Hey, uh, we'll catch you guys again next time. Have a great day. Big thanks once again to our sponsor Trailer Tug. Please visit them at trailertug.com and learn more about the world's strongest trailer dolly. If you're looking for a way to easily pull and steer your motorcycle, jet ski, race, utility, horse, boat, camping or travel trailer uh man th- this is definitely the thing you're looking for uh, featuring an all-steel powder-coated frame uh eight inch by two inch all metal hubs with bearings and easy roll urethane tread y- you've got to see one of these things to believe it trailertug.com thanks again for listening and be sure to keep up with us gearheads over on our website at wwwround And if you'd like to, we invite you to follow along with us over on Facebook, Instagram, and be sure to check out all of our latest videos on YouTube.com.